the splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, amid all the earth joys, all the earth joys, He wraps Himself in love.
And thank you for the worship. Um, you know, I didn't tell the worship team anything about what I was going to speak about today because I'll be honest with you, I was really wrestling with the Lord this week about this message. But Derek and the worship team, I think, nailed it so much about the sentiment that we're feeling. And there is a sense of wanting these ultimate and amazing truths of the word, but that we are definitely in a time of desperation and we're not really sure what to do. I'm really grateful to be here with all of you. I'm really grateful to be able to share this word that God has placed on my heart. I just feel like the world is so drastically different from the last time we were physically together. I'm not talking about last week, but months ago. And I even feel like it's even more drastically different than the last time I was even before you around Easter. Somebody... There are a lot of people actually who feel like uh, and have the sentiment that life is a roller coaster, right? We, we've heard this uh, kind of metaphor before. Life is a roller coaster. It has its ups and it has its downs and it has its turns. And I don't really have any objection with that thought. I think life is at times a roller coaster. What I've recently taken objection to is that the roller coaster ride is a whole lot different now than it has ever been. I'm a little old school with it, and some of you are old enough to remember they don't have many of these in existence anymore. I'm used to the wooden, old school roller coasters, amen? Some of y'all remember those, and those were thrilling rides. They were awesome um, roller coasters to ride. There's maybe a few left in existence today. They're hard to maintain these days, right? And the cost of maintaining them is astronomical. But even though those rides sometimes got you an adrenaline rush, it was manageable, right? The highs were okay. The lows were fine. The turns were not too bad. But I feel like today, I don't know about you, but I feel like today the roller coaster ride is really different. The highs are way higher. The lows are way lower. The turns are sharper and more unexpected than we have ever experienced in life. And don't get me started about the loop-de-loops. Okay? And I feel like life has got us on one loop after another, after another, after another right now. And can I be honest with you guys? I feel like I'm hanging upside down on one of those loops right now. I just got to be honest. That's, that's where I am. I'm strapped in real tight into this roller coaster, but it stopped in the middle of this loop. You know, I thought this, the pandemic was bad, and it is, and the isolation that has resulted in this global pandemic was bad. But then on April 27th, my world got turned upside down. And I lost my job of seven years. And I didn't really know how to handle that. And overnight, I lost 60% of my household income. I'm hanging upside down. And then on top of that, as I'm hanging upside down on this proverbial roller coaster of life, I'm looking down at the world and... All I see is an unprecedented level of civil unrest, the likes of which we've never seen before. And my heart breaks, and I mourn at what I see. 
And I wrestled with God this week because I wasn't sure the words that I would speak to you today. I wasn't really sure of what word of encouragement or what biblical truth I could bring to you guys and what I could possibly say that would give you a word of encouragement, a word of certainty that would help get you through this time. And then I remembered a conversation that I had with Alex recently. My son always seems to inspire things in me, praise God. Thank you, Alex. He's out there. And Alex asked me a question a couple of weeks ago, and it was a a question of innocence, but it was so genuine. Alex says to me, Dad, why does racism and discrimination still exist today? And it was a real honest question. And it was a big question. And I said, well, son, I'm, I'm not really sure how to explain it except from the perspective of the Bible. And in short, I think Alex's real question was, we live in such an age and a time of enlightenment and there's so much access like never before to information, to data. You can Google anything today. Information is at our fingertips. Why are we still dealing with this? At its core, that was his question. And after a nice dialogue, what it really boiled down to is I said, son, you know, we don't have a social injustice issue at its core. We don't have a racial issue at its core. We don't have these issues. It's not a red-blue issue. It's not a black-white issue. It's not a a left-right issue. Beloved, it's a sin issue. This is the issue that we have. It is a sin issue. It is about men wanting to live, as the Bible says, for what is good and pleasing in our own eyes. And that's the issue that we have at its core. And so, as I kind of thought about this word that we would talk about today and getting into the scripture, and I looked at the the recent events, the other thing that really broke my heart, guys, is that you know, as I've been around and engaged in a number of conversations among Christian circles lately, my heart has been breaking because when I am engaged in these conversations, I see a diluting of God's word. I see a compromising of his text. I've noticed that there is a great sense of people wanting to mix the thoughts and the ideologies of the world with the Word of God, and there is nothing that one has to do with the other. And that breaks my heart, and it really does tear me up inside. There are two opposite, polar opposites the thinking of the world and the word of god and what happens is when you begin to mix those two things what you get is a half truth and if we know from the book of genesis that a half truth is entirely a lie and so what we have is so many believers and i'm speaking to the church today and if you can minister this word to some of your friends in the world praise god But I'm speaking to the body today. I'm speaking to the church that what we have, guys, is we have a church as now because we want to be politically correct. We want to be overly sensitive. We want to make sure that we're inclusive. We serve an exclusive God. 
But at the cost of the word, we want to bring people in at the cost and at the compromise of the word. And I just won't do it. I just can't. So I'm going to give you over the the next few weeks, and obviously um, our pastor candidate, Pastor Dan Nelms, is going to come next week and speak before us. But I'm going to talk on a three-part series titled, Getting It Right. And today I want to talk on the topic of civil unrest and getting it right. Because I don't want any opinions. I want the word of God. And so I want to examine some text today. Go ahead today, do me a favor, and open up your words today. We're going to read from the book of Acts today. Our our congregational reading for today is going to be from the book of Acts. We're going to read from Acts 21. We're going to read seven short verses. I'm reading from the NASB, but whatever you have is just fine. It'll get us to the same place. Praise God. I'm going to read from Acts chapter, Acts chapter 21, 30 through 36. I'll give you another second. I hear some of you turning. All right, for time's sake, we're going we're gonna to get going here. Okay. Starting in verse 30, it reads, And then all the city was provoked, and the people rushed together. And taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. While they were seeking to kill him, a report came to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. At once, he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound by two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. But among the crowd, some were shouting one thing and some another. And when he could not find out the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. When he got to the stairs, he was carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people kept following him, shouting, away with him. Thank you, Lord, for the reading and revelation of your word. Amen. Beloved, what Luke is recording here in this episode is an account of civil unrest in Jerusalem. And we see and hear plenty of stories about that today in the media. We're hearing about protesting. We're hearing about rioting and looting in our major cities here in the United States and around the world. And we need to remember that nothing is new. Ecclesiastics 1.9 says, that which has been will be. And that which has been done will be done. That nothing is new under the sun. See, the unrest here in Jerusalem is marked, as we see much like today, by violence and confusion and increased in military presence and protest. And we're seeing that exact thing today. We think we're so much more sophisticated and so much more civilized and so much more cultured than those ancient people. But are we? 
You also see another account of this in Acts 16 and, and when Paul was in Philippi where there was an injustice on display by the authorities who took Paul and Silas and they beat them, they imprisoned them. Again, Acts 16, 22 and 24, we won't read that passage today, but I'm going to reference that. If you want to go home and read that account again, that's Acts 16, 22 to 24, you'll see this act of injustice that was brought against Paul. And we're seeing all of these similar things today in our streets. And this news about these protests and these rioting and these looting, you know what, guys? These are acts, protests, as a result of an injustice that has been done. Whether real or perceived, and I want to emphasize that because some injustices are real and others are perceived, but regardless of whether it is real or perceived, what we see here is that it's happening too often. It's happening far too often in our society. It's happening far too frequently in our cities and our towns. And as this continues to happen, I don't want us to think with the mindset of the world. I want us to see and think about these topics from a Judeo-Christian biblical worldview because we know that is the truth. And so today, I want to give us a reminder, and in this three-part series, I want to share with you some reminders of biblical truths that are timeless. We've seen it there 2,000 years ago in the text that are accounted for, and we're seeing it again today. So what does the Scripture tell us? So let us look at this particular act of civil unrest. And I want to talk today about the civil authorities. And we're going to get into a little bit of the, the idea of racism and people's property in our part two and part three of this series. But today I just want to talk a little bit with the time I have left about civil authority. What does God expect and what does he want from us as it relates to our civil authorities? Well, the Bible tells us that God expects us to be obedient and to submit to our civil authorities. Now, I know that's really hard to think about and say right now in this political climate, but we cannot think like the world. This is what the Word of God says. And I'll read to you from Romans 13.1. This is the Word of God. This is the inspired author of Romans and Paul saying these words. He says in Romans 13.1 that every person is to be in subjection to the governing authority for there is no authority except from God. And those who exist are established by God. Regardless of whether you like them, whether you like their political party or what have you, those who are in power are in power because God has allowed it to be so. Now, of course... Our obligation to civil authorities and our obedience to them does have limits. There is a limit to this. And what do I mean when I say that there is a limit? The Bible goes on to tell us that we must obey God before we obey man. If you read in uh, Acts 5, 9, Peter says that we must obey God rather than man. But as long as we submit, we can submit to our civil authorities, our governmental figures, provided that it does not compromise our faith, provided that it does not force us to compromise our values as followers of the way. 
But why? Why are we to do this? Why are we to submit to these authorities? It's a good question, and the Bible gives us that answer as well. Paul goes on to explain in Romans chapter 13, 3 and 4, and I'll read it so you don't have to turn it. Paul explains that the authorities are ministers of God. Let me read you the passage. Romans chapter 13, verse 3 and 4 says, For rulers are not cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to do you for good, or to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear a sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger, who brings the wrath to the one who practices evil. Beloved, God's intention in this system is for our civil government to punish those who do evil and protect those who do good. It doesn't seem like that right now, though, does it? It just, everything that we see and that we hear, we have one branch of media that acts like there isn't a problem, and we have one branch of the media that creates more problems than there really is. But God's intention is that we obey these authorities. But it doesn't mean that these authorities are always right. I want to make sure that that's very clear, that in our work and in our acts of obedience, I am not saying that our civil authorities are always right because we know that they're not. And this isn't new either. Go to Revelations. Revelations 2.10, Jesus tells the church in Smyrna, he says, behold, the devil is about to cast you into prison. Jesus isn't talking about the devil coming and physically manifesting himself and dragging Christians away into their cells. No, what Jesus is saying is that the people who have power over us to exercise authority in that end times revelations to the church in Smyrna, he says that those people who have that power will act as ministers of Satan and drag you away into the prisons. Because, see, authorities that are acting as ministers of God will never oppress you. They will never abuse you. They will never treat you in those fashions. I'm going to give you an example because I thought it was powerful, and we we don't—I wish we'd see more of this. There was a sheriff, I forget what town he was from, and I saw a video. Some of you may have seen this as well. And the people were protesting, and the protesting was starting to escalate, and the sheriff took a bold move to take off his riot gear, and he says, guys, listen, we love you. My officers and I, we love you. Tell us what we can do. And they chanted, walk with us. And in love, this minister of God, this civil authority, put down his riot gear and walked with the people. That is an authority who is acting as a minister of God and not a minister of the devil. But we see it. And yes, we have to acknowledge it. There are injustices. People are being persecuted. People, innocent people, are being thrown in jail. And these authorities are proving that they are ministers of the devil and not ministers of God. 
See, civil authorities, again, acting as agents of God, will not punish you. Romans 13.3 makes that clear. 13.3, they will not persecute and oppress the innocent people. So here's what our prayer should be. To the kings and the presidents and those who are in authority, our prayer is that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. That should be our prayer. And yet Paul... While he was at Philippi, Paul was wrongly punished. He was wrongly abused by the authorities. The chief magistrate, again, you can read the account in Acts 16, 22 through 24. The chief magistrate ordered Paul and Silas to be beaten with rods and thrown into the inner prison. I mean, he threw him into the belly of the prison. And what I love about this is this man who experienced Countless abuse after countless injustice in all his missionary journeys leading up to his, his proclamation of the kingdom in Rome. This man penned Romans 13. After experiencing all of those injustices, Paul still tells us to submit to our authorities. Paul tells us, I'll read it. Paul says... When he was here, and, I, and I, I thought it was really interesting how he responded in the face of the injustice. The chief magistrate says, hey, you know, I'm going to paraphrase this again. I want you to go read it. The chief magistrate says, hey, do me a favor. We know we did wrong. Why don't you go just let Paul and Silas go? Just, just go let them go. So they come and bring word to Paul, and they says, all right, you guys can go. You, you, you get out of here. We don't want anything to do with you. Beat it. And Paul he, he steps up and he says, wait a minute. He says, you guys just beat us in public without a trial, men who were Romans. You led us away. You threw, into, you threw us into a prison unjustly. And wait a minute, now in the secret of night, now you want to tell us to go? The scripture says, Paul says, and there was an exclamation point in this text. Paul says, no, indeed. In other words, Paul says, you must be out of your mind. If you think I'm going to get beaten like this in public and I'm going to get thrown in prison unjustly and then I'm going to walk out of here quietly, Paul says, you are out of your mind. And what does Paul do? Paul says, no, I'm not going anywhere. Let them come and bring us out publicly. Paul says, let them come. This was Paul's act of protest. Now, I'll ask you this. Was Paul being disobedient? Was he violating his own instructions that he wrote in Romans 13 when he submitted to his authorities but still attempted to hold the authorities accountable for their abuse and their mistreatment? Was he violating his own writings? No, absolutely not. Because, see, submission to our civil authorities does not require us to accept abuse. I don't care what your skin color is, your race, and your nationality. We are human beings, and none of us deserve the abuse. And when it happens, it requires a voice of protest in the same way that Paul did. But there's a right and a wrong way to do it. Peter says in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, 16, Peter says that we should act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. 
See, so many people are exercising their freedom and they're exercising it as, as, as a way to mask for their acts of evil and rioting and theft and whatever that they're doing. And it's wrong. I love how the Word of God, Pastor Gertie actually sent me this, it's from Charles Spurgeon, and I've been reading a lot of Spurgeon lately, and, and, and Pastor Gertie sent me something yesterday which really touched me, and he says that uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote once that the Word of God, no matter how you handle it, you're going to get cut because it's a sword. The Bible says it's a double-edged sword. There's no way you can handle a double-edged sword on its blade and not get cut. That the word is piercing. Now, I told you earlier that I felt like I was upside down, and we're almost done here, guys, and we're, we're going to be heading down for some fellowship in a minute. But the word of God has a tendency of stirring things up. I see a lot of commonalities in what the protesters, the good ones, the good actors that are doing, and what we do, guys. And let me explain to you what I mean as we wrap this up. The protesters that are pro protesting right now, they are protesting to change the system. They are protesting to bring a social and political change to this system. Guys, why aren't we protesting evil? Why aren't we protesting sin on our streets? Because the Word of God is our great tool of protest. And if you read the book of Acts, what you'll see throughout Paul's missions is everywhere he went to preach the Word, it caused unrest. I'm going to read to you a quick scripture from Acts 17. I thought this was pretty interesting when I saw this the other day. Acts 17, Paul is in Thessalonica here. He's bringing the word, and the word of God is stirring up trouble again. And I just want to read the, the latter part of verse 7. And it says, these men, referring to Paul and Silas and James, or Jason, it says that these men have upset the world. Some of your versions may say, turn the world upside down. That these men have upset the world, have come here also, and Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. And here's what they were saying. This is the message. This is the gospel. They were proclaiming that there is another king. His name is Jesus. These men were bringing the word of God, and it was creating protest. Guys, let me tell you something. We ourselves as Christians are trying to upend this system of evil. And it is us as Christians to stand up and act against the powers of evil in protesting. We should be right alongside some of these people protesting for the evil and the injustice that is in the world. But what we're doing is we're bringing the power of the word of God into those activities and that engagement. And we're going we're gonna to overturn the world. The Bible says every time I read in the book of Acts and so many of these scriptures, every time the preaching of the word came into the city, it sent the city into an upheaval. Because God's kingdom isn't this kingdom. And we're coming proclaiming a new kingdom. We're here proclaiming the power and the life-saving word of God. And so that's what we have to remember. I'm going to close this today. 
And we're going to continue this dialogue in a couple of weeks. I'm going to read to you from John, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. Because I want us to remember that in all times, in all seasons, especially these seasons of civil unrest, we have to look at God. We have to examine his word and remember these words from John. John wrote again in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. He says, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. This is the worldly thinking I was telling you guys about. The world, though, guys, is passing away. Also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Guys, the the earth and its troubles are only temporary. They will pass away. And so no matter what happens in the world around us, we must focus on doing the will of God. Let us pray. Father, thank you so much, Lord, that you have given us your revealed word, helping us to understand your nature your character, and the timeless truths that will apply to us in any country, in any time, and in any season, because it is objective, not subjective, but objective truth. And it is one that we just root our lives in every day. Thank you, God, for rooting out the weeds of the world that try to encroach on the garden of our hearts, Father. Lord, this isn't political. This isn't any of these things that we, these key words that we throw out, these buzzwords. Lord, no, Father, this is a sin issue. And so, God, I pray that as we hear your word, that your people will be empowered and encouraged to go out into the world and proclaim the goodness, to turn the world upside down through the proclamation of your word. And I thank you so much, Father. Will you keep these people, bless them, God, from the sole of their feet to the crown of their heads, Lord. Just keep them and grant them traveling mercy today. As we leave this place, I pray that we never leave your presence. And Father, I also just take a moment to bless the food, Lord, that we're about to enjoy and partake in fellowship with Ryan and Mel and their family, Lord, as they depart us. Uh, Father, we just lift you up, and we thank you for being in the center of that fellowship, and we praise you, we thank you, and the people of God say, amen.